Amen. I'd like to greet each one in Jesus' name tonight. I don't think I knew a soul here tonight until I came here and got to know some of you. But you know where the Spirit of the Lord is? There's not only liberty, but there's also oneness. Sorry about that, I didn't even see it here. How many of you know the song, Open the Windows of Heaven? How many of you know that? It's only a few. Well, we'll try it. If we sink, we'll have to stop. (laughs) Oh, heaven, the Father, and merciful Lord, we come to you now with one mind and accord. We are so undeserving to make this request, but with your Lord, let us be blessed. Open the window and pour out a blessing. Shower your power upon us, we again we come needing as humbly we pray and that's why we lift up our voices to say open the windows and pour out a blessing shout Father, with bowed heart, with expectation, we seek your face. We know, Lord, you can open up the windows of heaven tonight and and pour out a blessing that there's not a heart here tonight that can contain it. Lord, that's what we want. So our cup runneth over and it runs out into the lives of those around us. Oh, Lord, pour out a blessing. Father, as we begin this meeting tonight, I pray that your presence would be here We know that your word tells us and we claim that promise where two or three are gathered in your name. There you will be in their midst, Lord. We thank you for that. 
We console ourselves. We comfort ourselves tonight with that. But I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go up and down among us and you would touch hearts, Lord, where they need to be touched. Lord, I know we are human and we have needs. They may differ, but nevertheless, Lord, we all have needs. And so, Father, I pray, meet that need tonight. Touch us, Lord, that we could walk from this place tonight being more conscious of your presence and glorifying you and loving you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know how much an introduction is worth. Uh, my name is Roman Kaufman and my wife Mary back here. Uh, don't begin to say your names because I won't be able to remember them. Uh, I think sometimes meetings like this you have such an advantage. You know, I'm supposed to remember a hundred souls and you can only have remember one. So, we'll leave it at that. But uh, let's look at our message tonight. Uh, I had a few questions before I begin... Did you ever did you ever give it some serious thought what sin is all responsible for? You know, why do we have locks on doors? Why do we have security systems? Why do we have police officers driving around and walking around on the streets? Why do we have prisons, armies, or even coast guards? You know, whatever started the food chain. You look at the food chain as people call it. You know, marauding beasts and bloodshed and death, even among the wild animals. Whatever started the food chain. Uh, I believe that before sin was, there was no animals eating one another. Uh, not the way I understand the Bible. Where does pain come from? How about heartbreak, fear and tears? Where do they come from? <clears throat> Thorns, thistles, labor, sickness, disease and even old age. Why do we get older? Sin is the instigator of all of this. All these and thousands more, they have their roots going straight back to sin. <coughs> this evening, the message that I am going to share with you is not a nice subject to talk about. But nevertheless, it's one of those things that we need to face. We need to look at squarely in the face and we need to face it. My motivation tonight for preaching is it isn't smile, God loves you. But rather, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. <clears throat> I'm not sure how much you are used to the kind, of me uh, the kind of meeting I'm going to have tonight. It doesn't matter. But if the Lord talks to you tonight, if the Lord speaks to your heart tonight, I want you to answer Him. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. At the end of the message, I'm going to give an opportunity. If the Lord spoke to you, you can answer that voice that talked to you while we had the message. And the rest of it, I'm going to leave up to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> For a text, let's turn to James, chapter 1. We're going to read verse 12 through verse 16. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
Do not err, my beloved brethren. Now let's turn the Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to read 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open chain. For many years I wondered what those scriptures really meant. And I know there's a lot of controversy concerning this portion of scripture here in Hebrews. But tonight, by the grace of God, I'd like to explain some of that later on in the message. But the subject I want to address this evening, I titled, The Progression of Sin. The Progression of Sin. And what I mean by these terms is simply the stages of experience One goes through from the beginning to the end of sin. The different stages. From temptation to conception to the maturity of sin. And in order to do this, I have divided this subject into three stages. Three stages of of progress from beginning to the end. Number one, the temptation stage. Number two, the conception stage. And number three, the death stage. I want to talk about these three steps. And how we need to relate to them. Let's remember tonight. Sin does not only deceive. But it also kills. The soul that sinneth shall die the Bible says. This statement is as sure. Yea even more sure. Than the law of gravity that we are familiar with. How do I know that? Because the Bible says once heaven and earth are gone. Gravity will go. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. The soul that sinneth shall die. This statement has neither qualifiers nor exceptions. It is a universal truth that applies to every person upon the face of this earth. The soul that sinneth shall die. Sin kills whenever it is allowed to reign. Don't ever underestimate the power of that death that can creep up on a person. Sin had Jesus crucified. It killed Adam. And it brought... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) It brought shame and disrespect upon, uh, upon David. Because of David's sin, he had to pray to the Lord, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Sin ate away at Judas until he hung himself. It brought Ananias and Sapphira to an early grave. And it caused Demas to forsake Paul and and King Saul to lose his kingdom. And who tonight could say how far sin has gone? And how many people are in hell tonight because of that? This is only a small sample of the tip of the iceberg of sin in the lives of those going on. What about today? What is sin doing today, even among God's people? What is it doing? Can anybody measure the depth, the breadth, the height of what it has done? How is it affecting people's lives? How has it affected yours? Another important question we need to answer within our heart tonight is this. Uh, Or not a question. uh, 
a truth about sin that we need to remember is sin grows. It never stays at one spot. Sin grows. It doesn't stay at one place. But if not repented of, it progresses until it bringeth forth death. Like I read in the scriptures tonight. So, let's look at this subject tonight. The progression of sin. And the three stages. The first one, the temptation stage. Verse 14 of our text here. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And then he's enticed. You know, many of God's children, they go through severe trials. Severe trials because they don't know how to relate to everyday temptations that they face through life. They get confused because they don't know how to tell the difference between being tempted and falling for that temptation. Many of God's children, they don't know the difference. They don't know, they don't know when one passes from the temptation stage to the conception stage. And they don't know when that happens. And because of that, they go through a lot of confusion. And the devil takes them for a ride in this. And, uh, and, and really, uh, uh, it can really make a person, uh, well, it can make a person, get a person to the place where he gets so confused he doesn't know whether he's coming or going. And believe me, to make that discernment is not always easy. To know just when a person has, has left the temptation stage and has allowed that temptation to progress into the conception stage, that's not always easy to find out when that is. <clears throat> Unless we know how to relate to it. There are a few things we need to know. There's a few things that we need to remember tonight. If we want to stay out of this confusion that I talked about. <clears throat> temptation is often thought, about, uh, thought of as something to avoid at all costs. But I'm going to share something with you tonight that maybe, maybe you've never given it a thought. But temptation is, some, is often thought about as something dangerous that causes much grief and much pain. It's very true. Temptation can lead to this. It can lead to that. But only if we deliberately choose to go that direction. Let's remember... Temptation is not the cause of wrongdoing or trouble. Temptation is not the cause of that. It just presents to us a choice. It's like driving through town and you come up to a light. And just before you get there it turns red. You've got a choice. You can either step on it and try to go through it yet when it's red. Or you can stop. The light was not the fault. If you got a ticket for going through. You chose to drive through. That's how temptation is. Temptation is just, it just presents to us a, uh, uh, presents to us a, a choice. Actually, the very definition of the word confirms that. Temptation, it means to allure, to appeal strongly to, or to invite. And temptation always triggers a choice. It always triggers a choice and provokes a definite stand of action. Whenever you are tempted, you cannot walk away from it neutral. You're going to have to make up your mind, one way or the other. It, it demands and provokes a definite stand of action. Where there is no choice to do differently than what is acceptable, if there is no choice in the matter to do differently than what is acceptable, <clears throat> temptation is not even possible. 
The very fact that you and I can choose to do different than what we are supposed to do is what makes temptation possible. That's where temptation gets all of its strength. Because you and I are born, freeborn agents, we can choose to say no to God. Tonight, you can choose to say no when God speaks to you. Because you're born free. And that liberty of choice, God has such great respect for that liberty of choice, to the point that even though He died for the sins of mankind, for every sin that ever was committed and ever will be committed until the end of time, God paid His life blood for the, for the payment of that sin. And yet, He will watch literally millions and billions of people go to a literal hell because He has such respect for that liberty of choice. Don't ever let anybody convince you otherwise. There's a lot of doctrines around, false doctrines, and a lot of people talking about a person not having any choice in matters, that you were born either to be lost or born to be saved, and that you have no choice in the matter. That's not biblical. Temptation is never real. It's never real unless there is a possibility of failure. There are those that believe in irresistible grace. There are those that believe in that doctrine. But irresistible grace makes temptation an impossibility. If the grace of God that brings salvation cannot be resisted, if that cannot be resisted, then temptation is impossible. Let's look at verse 14 again. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. One of the most important truths to remember about the temptation stage is the necessity of it. Did you realize that it's very, very necessary that you can be tempted? It's very necessary that you and I can be tempted. Jesus uses the term, or James uses the term, every man, no one excluded, every man is tempted. No one is an exception. Everyone is tempted. Why? Because this stage, this stage of is a necessary part of every human being's life. Because God created us, like I said, as a freeborn agent with the liberty of choice, the ability to choose right in the face of wrong. You and I have that ability to do that. Therefore, temptation is necessary in order to develop character. If you and I could never be tempted, we couldn't develop any character. <clears throat> Without temptation, there's no such thing like Christian virtue. All virtue comes from making the right choice when it's within your power to make the wrong choice. And without temptation, that's impossible. Temptation is, is a very important part of everyone's life. Without it, the law could not be the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Paul said in Romans 7 verse 7, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. If it wouldn't have been for temptation, Paul would never have come to the end of himself. If it wouldn't be for temptation, there's not one soul in here that would have ever have felt a need of coming to Jesus Christ. The law would be powerless without temptation. And the same goes for us. Temptation is necessary to show us up. You know, there's nothing quite like temptation to show what's really inside of me. There's nothing quite like that. 
The term temptation in the Greek is used as putting us to the proof. Let's take another look at verse 14 again. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Another translation says a man is tempted by his own passions, his own evil desires. <coughs> Let's take note of something. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, his own lust, his own passions, his own evil desires. What is that telling us? It is making us responsible. It's making every one of us responsible. It's talking about that which we have control over. It's part of keeping our heart with all diligence. That's what it's a part of. And the very fact that the word diligence is used tells me that there is no room for a slothful, indifferent attitude. I'm afraid that a lot of God's children do not realize that when they become a Christian, when they are born again, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Now you have enlisted in the army of the Lord. And now you really are going to be showing up. You'll have temptation coming from every hand. The devil is not so concerned. Yes, he's concerned. He doesn't want us to get saved. He doesn't want us to get, uh, get converted. But he's not finished. No, that doesn't finish him. He has a thousand temptations for every stage of life that you and I go through. I used to think when you get older, surely some of these things would slack off. But I find temptation goes on. You know, I'm tempted with things today I didn't think existed when I was your age. And, and I'm sure that you couldn't even be tempted with some of the things I'm tempted with. And some of the temptations I fought when I was a young lad... They're not successful anymore. They don't tempt me anymore. Every stage of life that you and I go through, there's a temptation for that stage that is real. People dying on their deathbed. I've known people, godly people, until the very last breath was drawn, they were tempted. The devil would not relinquish his, his temptations from them. But let's remember tonight, we are responsible. We cannot contribute our failure to another's influence. No. Yes, we need to realize that evil communications corrupt good manners. But we have a choice. We have a choice in the matter. Let's take a closer look at the term, his own lust. This is talking about the appetite of our sensibilities. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the word sensibilities. But it's that which is our, our makeup. In other words, our natural inclinations, our passions, our feelings, our desires, our impulses and our emotions. The power and the appetite of these things. That's what he's talking about here. The power and the appetite of these things. Every man is drawn away by the power of these things. Drawn away from what? I mean, these are necessary parts. It's a necessary part of our makeup. Drawn away from what? Drawn away from the legal, lawful operation of these things. Our passions and desires and appetites. You know, these passions, these feelings, these desires, and these emotions that, we are, that are part of our makeup, they're necessary. These, you know, we can't live without them. These, part, you know, these parts of our makeup, they are not responsible for the right and wrong of our doings. 
they only present to us a temptation. There is no, they have no moral character. My desires, my, my feelings, my emotions, they are neutral agents of my makeup. And they have no moral character. The morality comes in when my will makes a choice. For instance, if you don't have an appetite, you won't eat. If you don't have feelings, how can you be compassionate? If you don't have any desires, how are you going to be motivated? But the unlawful use of these is where sin comes in. And that's why we have the Bible for direction. The overindulgence of these is where temptation comes in. James uses the word entice, which has the same meaning as baited. A bait held out to you. Temptation is baiting these sensibilities of my makeup. This part of me, these desires and these appetites that I am born with, that I have to have in order to survive. Temptation is baiting these things to take these desires and things beyond what is lawful. That second piece of pie, you know, that you don't need. It's not wrong to like pie. You need to have an appetite or you won't eat. Temptation is baiting these sensibilities to go beyond what God has ordained to be legal. In simple words, verse 14 could read like this. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by the appetites of his sensibilities and enticed to go beyond what is right. Whether or not a person will give in to temptation depends entirely on whether or not his appetites and his passions are controlled by the power of God within It depends whether he is allowing the power of God to keep them in subjection to his better knowledge or not. Or whether he is allowing his passions and desires to go unchecked and to run his life. This is precisely what Paul had in mind when he told the Corinthians, I keep my body under. Lest after I have preached deliverance to others, I myself become a castaway. He says, I will not allow my body to run my life. My body is only, is only my servant. It's not going to be my master. And really that's the problem with, with, with all of this. We allow our body to become our master and it runs our lives. You know, there are people that live to eat. And there are people that eat to live. Is your body tonight your master or is it your servant? <clears throat> Before a person is converted... His sensibilities. Yeah, are you clear on what your sensibilities are? These appetites, these desires, these emotions, these feelings we have. Before a person is converted, his sensibilities, they rule his life. They run his life. After he's converted, these are brought into subjection by the power of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Romans 6 talks about this. For as ye have yielded your members servants to the uncleanness to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now, since you're converted, now yield your members servants, servants, see that? Not masters. Yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. D.L. Moody once said, the trouble is, people do not know or they do not realize that Christ is a deliverer. They forget that the Son of God came not only to forgive sins, but to deliver from sin. There are a lot of Christians stumbling around in their life 
And they don't realize that we are to be kept from sin. I don't know how many of you people believe it or not, but there's enough, there's enough in here that you and I don't need to sin through our life. Just because we fall into sin doesn't say it's, it's not possible to live without. But there's, there's enough of power, the power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is to quicken our mortal bodies that we can be influenced by that power and we can live a victorious life. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not me, it's not me living, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God who gave Himself, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Did you ever catch that word of? He says, the life which I now live, I live by, he doesn't say faith in the Son of God. He says, the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Paul considered himself so dead, so crucified with Christ, that he lived in Christ, with Christ, and in Christ, and the very faith of Christ is what took him through. I'm afraid there's not enough of victory preached behind the pulpit today. I believe in victory. Do I ever fall? Yes. I still believe in victory. Do you know what the greatest problem is in the church of Jesus Christ today? Unbelief. Unbelief. Man does not... God's children, too many of them, they do not believe what this says. They will not take it word for word. They interpret the Bible by their experience instead of interpreting their experience by the Bible. The Bible says the old man is dead. They're tempted and they fall. And they look at the Bible and say, mustn't mean what it says because I fell because you fall does that mean that the Bible changes what it means the Bible still means what it says and says what it means regardless of what our experience is we need to learn to interpret the Bible by what, to interpret our life by the Bible not interpret the Bible by our life or experience <clears throat> But anyway, we need to get back to the message. I get caught up in some of these things. The power is here to live victorious. This is, this is demonstrated very precisely in Joseph's life. When Potiphar's wife enticed him, did he have passions? Did Joseph have desires? Was he normal? Absolutely. Absolutely. He was a young man just like you and I. But when she enticed him, his passions and his desires were regulated and controlled by the power of God. You know, the consciousness of God's presence, though he never saw God, the consciousness of God's presence to Joseph was more real than Potiphar's wife standing in front of him. The power of God and the consciousness of God's very presence was more tangible to Joseph than Potiphar's wife. The Bible says, flee all appearances of evil. Anything that is not clear, cut, uh, clear but has the appearance of evil, flee, it says. Again, Joseph was a very good example of this. 
<coughs> but too often we linger. We're like the little boy that was bent over an apple basket in the, in the, in the farm market. And uh, he was bent over an apple basket and looking at these apples. And, and the man that had to stand, uh, he saw this boy, and behind, the man behind the counter, and he yelled, Boy, are you stealing apples? And the boy just stammered, I, I, I'm trying not to. <clears throat> I, I remember a brother in the church, and this I never forgot this. And I thought, you know, we need to take a lesson from this. He had a dog that would kill the chickens. He had the chickens running loose out in the barnyard, and he had his dog loose. Well, you know what happens. That's an invitation for... That's an accident waiting for a place to happen. And, and the, little, the dog would kill chicken. And, uh, and, and this, this brother, he decided, I'm going to teach that dog the lesson. And he took a chicken, one of the ones he killed, and he tied it around the dog's neck with a string about that long. And he left it on there until the chicken literally rotted off the string. That dog despised chickens. He wouldn't even look at them. And after that... The dog could lay out there in the barnyard in the sun, sleeping about half, you know, and the chickens would be pecking and scratching around the dog, and the chickens would be over here, and the dog would turn his head over the other way. <laughs> you know, we ought, to know, we ought to learn some of those things. Flee all appearances of evil. Know your limitations. Benjamin Franklin once said, It's easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all that follows it. <clears throat> Why? Because the flesh is never satisfied. In temptation, don't forget this tonight. In temptation, whatever the temptation is, never, never argue with the devil. Never argue with the devil. And never discuss or talk it over with him. We can so easily get caught up in this, rationalizing, turns into excuses, and finally, Compromise. Remember Eve. She resisted at first, but then was led into a discourse about it, and finally gave in by rationalizing. Look at Christ. Look how he handled it. Look at his example in the wilderness. He didn't do battle with some intellectual knowledge. He used the Word of God, and it was more than sufficient to put the devil to flight. <clears throat> now let's go to the next stage of sin's progression. The conception stage. Verse 4 to 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. You know, many people, especially young Christians, are troubled about this thing. I've counseled with a lot of young people that go through this. They are tempted, but they continue to resist. But after a while, the devil accuses them of falling. And then they get confused. This makes them all the more vulnerable to his attacks and accusations. You know, the devil has a sly way of doing this. He'll come at a person like this, he'll inject a certain thought in your mind, and then right upon that he'll come back and say, you can't be a Christian thinking such thoughts. And if the person is not careful, down he goes. And it never left the temptation stage. It never, you never gave it enough thought, you never played around with the thought, it was only a thought. You and I cannot help what, what we think, what, what comes our way at times. You know, someone has said you can't help when a bird flies over your head, but you can surely help it from building a nest on your head. <clears throat> it's very important for any Christian to understand the difference between temptation and sin. If not, the devil will wear a person down till he's so weak 
till he's so confused that he doesn't know if he's lost or saved. Let's look at this wording in this verse. When lust has conceived, when lust has conceived, <clears throat> it bringeth forth sin. What is this talking about? Lust hath conceived. How do we know when this happens? In order for a conception to take place, there must be an intimate relationship take place. And in this area of temptation, there must be an intimate, uh, intimate relationship with our sensibilities. Not just a bait held out, our sensibilities must devour the bait in order for it to go into conception. There must be an intimate relationship between temptation and our passions or appetites or desires. This speaks of yielding, giving in to the invitation. It's talking about taking the bait and then devouring the bait. <clears throat> this speaks of no longer resisting, no longer going against it, but going along with the thought. In other words, agreeing with the suggestion, fantasizing, and experiencing in our minds, living out the suggestion in thought. No longer resisting, but agreeing. This is when lust has conceived. No longer resisting, but agreeing. A sure way of knowing when this is happening in you, with you is when your attitude toward the temptation changes. It's no longer this. It's more like this. Your attitude changes toward the temptation. Mind you young people, if you are tempted and the devil takes some young people for a real, a real run on these things, but if your attitude toward the temptation is always resisting, I don't want it, I don't want it, don't let the devil get you down and make you believe you have sinned. You have not sinned when you resist the temptation. <clears throat> now, this is all a thought process. This is all a thought process. But once sin is thoroughly conceived in thought, the only thing that keeps it from being a literal, physical experience is opportunity. Every sin is always committed in thought. Did you realize that? Every sin that you and I can commit, they are always committed in thought. Your physical body cannot commit sin. You, cannot, you can commit sin using your physical body, but your physical body cannot commit sin. It's a dead agent. There's nothing moral about your body. It's your mind. It's your will where morality comes in. You can sin against your body, but your body cannot sin against you. It's only the vehicle your will uses to carry it out. Your body was created to serve as a vehicle for the will to carry out its intentions. It's the servant of your will. It can be used for either good or bad. Again, Romans 6.19 makes this clear. For as ye have yielded your members, your body, members of your body, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, before you were saved, now, even so now, after you're saved, yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. I'm often challenged with this verse. As you, in the same way, with the same drive, with the same pursuit... 
when you were before you were saved with the same drive the same fervor with the same zeal that you allowed your body to follow sin even so now yield your body as instruments of righteousness unto holiness you know young people they're out there sometimes or any, anybody really out there to two three in the morning carousing around in sin when they get saved are they out there two and three o'clock in the morning trying to get a soul saved as ye have yielded before time, so now yield yourself. The same seal, the same drive. <clears throat> you and I, when we fall into sin, we, we sin with our will, nothing else. That's why Proverbs says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. By the time your body makes sin evident by its actions, whether by the use of the tongue or any other matter, uh, member of the body, you have already sinned with the consent of your will in your mind. Now, you have sin conceived. And sin begins its, its way. Sin begins its journey to death. Once sin is conceived, it begins its journey to maturity. Verse 15. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The word finished means fully matured. Fully matured. But before sin can be fully matured, there's a process of groweth. A process of groweth. And this is the conception stage I want to talk about. At this point, sin is in the process of maturing. And the person that is guilty has a choice. Repent, be forgiven, and start over. Or stiffen his neck in rebellion... And watch his sin grow on him. A person in the conception stage of sin has the death sentence upon him. He is under the law of sin and death. Romans 8 verse 2. He's like a person that is on death row. You know, some of the people in the United States, some of the states, they still have the death penalty. And depending what a man does, and he gets caught, he's put on death row. A person that has sinned. If you and I have sin in our life tonight, we're on death row. The person may sit for ten years in prison before he's put to death. You may live your life for ten years before death will creep up on you. But believe me, if you have unrepentant sin in your life, it is creeping up on you. The day is coming. You cannot bury it. You cannot put it under the rug, shrug it off. You cannot dismiss it. The only thing that will take care of it is confession and repentance. And the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> a person is like on death row. He's awaiting his time. And the clock is ticking on. And time comes and time goes continually. The only difference in the, is the one has a certain day set for his death. Where the other doesn't. The person that has sinned in his life. We don't know when that time will come. He's sentenced to death. And each day that he doesn't repent is one day closer to his doom. And there are three ways that that day can, of doom can come upon him. He can physically die. And there's no repentance in the grave. Or the Lord can return before he repents. Or he can quench the spirit to where he no longer strives with him. Any one of these three will do him in to where there is no hope. I wonder how many people tonight sitting here 
have sin in their life and they are on death stage. I wonder. I hope of better things for you. But I know man. I know humanity. And we think that if nobody else knows, nobody knows. But God. How many are living in unrepentant sin, waiting for their sin to mature, holding out? Holding out for what? Death. There's only one answer. Death. Let's take a closer look at this conception stage of sin. Let's look at some evidence of this stage. I said earlier that at this stage sin is maturing. It's growing. Sin is progressing. What I mean by that is sin doesn't seem so exceedingly sinful anymore. What once wasn't considered no longer bothers the conscience anymore. The person in this stage of sin sorts, uh, sort of gets dull. He gets sort of sleepy concerning spiritual things. Oh, every once in a while, somebody says something or some preacher says something that alarms him, but he basically settles back into an indifferent, uncaring attitude. But every day his sin is maturing. And every day it's harder to reverse his course. He's on a downward spiral. And every day it's harder and harder to turn around and, and, uh, and be victorious again. <clears throat> what I'm going to address here tonight is primarily... You know, the experience of one that knows the truth. He knows the truth and is going against better knowledge. And that can be either a backslider or it can be a person that has never been saved. The Christian that is backsliding or the one with a lot of light, both are going against better knowledge. Both are what James says, knowing to do good and not doing it. Both are in, a grave, are in grave danger because for both, Sin is taking them, taking its course and maturing. Heading for the finished stage, the death stage. And it's like cancer in a person's body. It grows and it takes over more and more territory of the body. The faster it grows without being checked, the faster it bringeth forth death. Sin in a person's life never stays at one place. It always matures if it's not repented of. And sin maturing is simply a process of an accumulation. A process of an accumulation of sins. It may start with one little act of disobedience that the Holy Spirit brings to our mind. And reminds us that this wasn't right. You need to make it right. And if you harden your heart against repentance and refuse to acknowledge the fact that it was wrong, a hardening process begins. The devil has his foot in the door now. And you can't close the door uh, like, like, uh, like you had before until you repent. Now your protection is hindered. Your heart is not as sensitive. Not as sensitive as it once was. You're not as sharp against wrong. You become dull. You get confused about a lot of things pertaining to moral issues of right and wrong. To resist temptation becomes harder and harder and harder. Things that you once experienced deliverance from, again, become attractive. Things that you once repented of, you were delivered from it, again, they become attractive to you. It's the process of sin. It's the beginning of backsliding. And a lot of people are deceived in this and don't know it. They can easily interpret their experience as getting more light. 
I see it all the time. They can, they can interpret their experience. I got more light. I'm delivered from my former convictions. Listen, what makes this so deceptive is this can be true. This can be true at times. Many of us have been liberated from some religious commandments and exercises that we were in bondage to. But there is a way of finding out whether my loss of conviction is because of new light or backsliding. The very scripture that talks about backsliding makes this clear. Proverbs 14 and verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. There you have it. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. He once sowed to the spirit and now he sows more and more to the flesh. A backslider is one who once was filled with the ways of God. Now he's going back to his own ways again. Seeking his own gratification. Once he cared more about God and others. Now more and more he is returning to his self-centered life. Is it new light? Or are you backsliding? An honest answer to these questions will tell you. What does it feed in your life? What does this new light you have feed? The flesh or the spirit? What does it feed? What does it promote? What does it gravitate toward? The flesh or God? Does this liberty you feel that you have make you more God conscious or more man conscious? Just recently my wife and I were counseling with a couple of young girls in Ohio. And they were asking us, what's wrong with makeup? And I'm not even going to go there tonight as far as the arguments that you could hold up. Legitimate arguments concerning makeup. I don't believe in it. I don't want any of it. But you know, we can say, well, we weren't made with makeup. God made us the way we are. And so therefore... He called it good and we need to be satisfied with it without adding to it. Well, if God made us the way we are and we never change anything that we were created with, then we're consistent. There's some legitimate arguments about these things. But you know what I told the girls? I said, you answer this question. If you're going to argue about whether makeup is right or not, they weren't interested in makeup themselves, but they were being challenged by a friend that was. And they wanted answers. And I said, you go tell your friend. Tell him this. Be honest before God. If you really want to know if makeup is right or wrong, answer this question. Does it make you more God conscious or more man conscious? Which does it do? You know the answer. We don't need more man consciousness. We need to be more God conscious. When a person is backsliding, he once again goes back to the flesh and temporal things for satisfaction. It's the process of sin, as sin takes its maturing course. When sin takes its course in a person's life, that person becomes more and more hardened. Apologies for wrong become less and less. And self-justification more and more. He justifies his mistakes when his heart knows that he's wrong. He's not easy to be entreated. Sin is adding to sin until he's not clear on what really is right or wrong. 
One of the clearest evidence of sin in a person's life is the slow, and that it is slowly maturing is the person's lack of power. You know, if you have sin in your life and you won't repent of it, you're stripped of your power. You don't have power. Another temptation comes along and you just fall. You don't have power to resist it. Such a person doesn't have the power to live victoriously. As each victory helps us another to win, so each defeat begets more defeat. Evidence of maturing sin is prayer ceases to be a vital part of your life. You still pray, but your prayers are lifeless, meaningless words without your heart in it. You pray out of a sense of duty rather than need. Another evidence is you're satisfied with the Bible knowledge that you have. You don't diligently seek for new truth. You're content with what you already know. You read your Bible but you don't search the scriptures. The little Bible study that you do is more for information than your pursuit for transformation. And earnest thoughts about eternal things are less and less. They're no longer a regular part of your life. And as sin takes its course in your life, the mind thinks less and less about heaven, about God, about eternity and holiness. But spends hours dreaming about things of time and sense, things that this life has to offer. You more and more are occupied with the temporal things. Church services are more and more endured with less and less hunger for truth, for spiritual conversations. And if services get a little bit past the expected time to close, you get agitated. Church hymns are sung without heart or meaning, with little or no enthusiasm. You see, such a person is dying. He's dying. A spiritual death. And it's like physical death. Some die slowly. Others die quickly. For reasons God only in His sovereignty knows. These things don't all happen in a day. It's a process. It's the maturing of sin. But the process is always downward. A downward spiral. Ever lower. Less convictions. What convicted you in the past, you do now with little feelings. Less concerns. Less love. Less appetite for spiritual truth. Less efforts in that direction, like one dozing off to sleep and just getting sleepier. So the process of sin works, till one is unconscious of his pearl. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 10, it tells us that there are those who will not receive the love of the truth. They do not open their minds to the truth. Because of this, it says, God will send them strong delusions that they will believe a lie. Strong delusions simply mean misleading influences. That they believe lies. And some of these lies are nothing short of being of believing that I can get away with it. I'm the exception. I'm not dying. I've got time. One of these days I'm going to change. You know, all that time does is solidify you in where you are. If you are not satisfied where you are tonight, don't fool yourself. The road that you are on will lead you where you don't want to be when you get to the end of it. You need to change your road. <clears throat> but the Bible says strong delusions, believing wrong to be right. And let's remember something. God sent, not devil sent. God sent. 
It says, God sent strong delusions. Think of it. Listen, the world is against us. The flesh and its lusts wants us. And the devil is out to destroy us. It's only by God's grace, it's only by God's mercy, that it is even possible for us to escape these things. <clears throat> it's only by God's grace that we know right from wrong. It's only because the Holy Spirit draws us that we even have a desire to yield to God. What is left if these God-sent influences are withheld from us because we don't receive the love of the truth? And not only these withheld, but delusions sent instead by God. It's serious, beloved. <clears throat> if God is the only one that is for us tonight, if the devil and the world and the flesh couldn't care less whether you and I make it. If God is the only one that is for us, what's going to happen if God withdraws? You'll sink like a rock. You'll sink like a rock. <clears throat> no hope. Our case is hopeless if God gives up. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 24, Some men's sins are opened beforehand. Going on before the judgment and some men they follow after. Which do you want? You want to confess your sins? And have peace and have them go ahead to you to judge, ahead of you to judgment? Or do you want your sins to mature and follow you to the grave and to judgment? If you think tonight that you can keep your sins from maturing, you are already deceived. <clears throat> the Bible says, He that cometh... He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. And he that confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You can no more control your downward spiral in sin than without confessing and forsaking them than what you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's impossible. The songwriter says, Sin will take you further than you really want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will lead you longer than you really. Uh, sin will lead uh, lead you longer than you really want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you really want to pay. <clears throat> the Bible uses the term, and it came to pass in the process of time. Let's ask ourselves a question tonight: What is happening in my life in the process of time? Sin or holiness? Let's go to the last part of this message: the death stage. Back to our text, verse 15. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And sin, when it is matured, and sin, when it has taken its course, and sin, when it is fully processed, bringeth forth, giveth birth to death. How shall I begin to describe this stage of sin? How shall we relate to it tonight? It's something few people want to talk about it. Because we are so limited in our understanding of it. But I feel the Bible talks about it. So I want to stick close to the scriptures concerning it. The reason I believe man knows and talks so little about it is. God alone knows when sin has matured. Into the death stage. Unless we as humans receive a divine revelation. Concerning an individual's life on it. We have best not be quick to pass judgment. We're better off sticking to the old saying, where there is life, there is hope. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I believe it's a reality that people experience 
and more people experience it than maybe that we are aware of. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I believe this death is talking about a spiritual death. And I believe it's a death that no one will resurrect from. And that is what makes it all the more serious. I tremble at the seriousness of it. I believe this is what Hebrews 10 verse 26 through 29 is talking about. Which we could turn to and perhaps profit from it. But time tonight will not allow it. I said earlier that few people really want to talk about it. For a lack of understanding on it. That doesn't surprise me. Even John. You look at John. 1 John 5 verse 16. He seems a little foggy on it. Whether he understood it fully or didn't write it. And didn't write it clear. Or whether he himself didn't know clearly. And wrote as he did. I don't know. Listen to how John puts it. If any man see his brother's sin is sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for that sin which is not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that ye should pray for it. Let me read this in another version. If any man see his brother's sin is sin which is not deadly, he shall ask and he shall give him life for that which does not lead to death. There is such a thing as deadly sin and I advise no prayer for that. <clears throat> If I see you going down the road in a 55 mile an hour speed limit and you're driving 65 and I think you're maybe unconscious of it you're sitting there you're just daydreaming and you're maybe not aware of it and I know you're going 10 miles over the speed limit I can bow my head and I can pray and God will give you life for that sin which is not unto death. The Bible tells me it can. God will forgive you because I prayed for you. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. And I believe this is the death stage. No amount of prayer is going to change that death stage. My wife and I had the experience in our home of a woman that came to our place for counsel. She was 40 some years old. At the age of 20 she sold her life to the devil. But I believe there was hope. And I believe when she came there was hope. But she was totally taken up with the powers of evil. My wife and her cousin spent two, three hours a day praying and reading the scriptures with this woman until she come to the place where one day she cried out and said, Jesus, help me. And in about two, three seconds, you could see a hardening process come over her face. And she resisted it and never again sought God's help. She cursed God. We fasted for a week in our church. And every evening a bunch of us brothers and sisters would come together for prayer. And we had no answer. Just, just silence. No answer. She didn't get any better. We didn't get anywhere. One evening I was frustrated. I came home from work and I went in the shower. And I was, as I was getting ready, I got frustrated. And I told God I'm frustrated. I said, God, why don't you answer? And it was like a voice said to me, Are you praying for the impossible? And it shook me. I didn't say anything. I went to the meeting. In the meeting we were sitting there discussing it. And I don't know how the discussion got to the point where, where I finally, I just opened up and I told him my experience that evening. And because I shared my experience, another brother said, Last night when I was going home from our meeting, I was praying for this woman and all of a sudden I couldn't pray. He said, the closest I can describe it is when you, if you try to pray for a dead person that died. And so we were sort of bewildered and finally we, 
And then another brother shared that his wife had similar experience. And so we dismissed the meeting and went home. One brother stayed there and he was devastated. And he cried out to God. He fell on his face. And he cried out to God. And he said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. These brothers are giving up on this woman. And a voice told him, There is a sin unto death. I do not say you shall pray for it. He got up. He found peace and he went home. We gave up on the woman. She ended up in a mental institution. She got cancer. I went to visit her before she died. And she was dressed like us plain people. You would think in every way you looked at her that she was fine. But I had something in my heart. I want to ask her. I knew she was dying. And, and we were singing some songs. The pastor of her church came. And they all felt good about her. Except myself and my wife. And we were singing songs out of our books and things like that. And then I asked her after one of the songs. I said, can you relate to this song? Can you talk to Jesus? Is he real to you? And she got this strange look on her face. And a faraway look came on her face and she said, I did something way too much in my younger years. I said, what was that, that you did too much? She said, I read the Bible too much. She was hard. When you, could, when you went through the veneer, she was hard in the inside and that's the way she died. <clears throat> I believe if a person sins and refuses to repent, whether it's sins of the flesh or sins in grieving and finally quenching the spirit, his sins will make him powerless to where he continues in more and more sin until finally when God only knows his sins mature unto death. Let me read the hymn in 571 of the Christian hymnary. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but this hymn reads this way, and that's what I'm talking about. There is a time we know not when, a place we know not where, that makes the destiny of men to glory or despair. That marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen, which crosses every path, which makes the boundary between God's mercy and His wrath. To pass that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth. It does not dim the beaming eye, nor pale the glow of health. The conscience may still be at ease, the spirit light and gay, and that which pleases still may please, and cares be thrust away. But on that forehead God has set indeliably a mark, unseen by man, for man as yet is blind and in the dark. He feels perchance that all is well, and every fear is calm. He lives, he dies, he goes to hell, not only doomed but damned. Well, where is that mysterious line that may by men be crossed, beyond which God himself has sworn that he who goes is lost? <coughs> An answer from the sky repeats, Yea, who from God depart today, O hear his voice today, repent and harden not your heart. I believe this was the case of Herod. You find the man loved to listen to John the Baptist preach. But he resisted, he resisted, and he resisted. Until finally, he put his last chance to death. John the Baptist. Which told him to repent. Later, he wanted to see 
a miracle of Jesus Christ. How many of you remember tonight? How much did Jesus talk to him? Not a word. Jesus was like the Holy Spirit. This man quenched the Spirit. And when a person quenches the Spirit, God has nothing more to say to such a person. I don't want to scare you tonight. I want you to think. And if you have sin, repent of it. But I don't want anybody that has no sin to be unsettled. Because there are a lot of young people that get to the place that feel they have quenched the Holy Spirit and that have not. If you have a desire to follow God, if you have a desire to serve God, you have not quenched the Holy Spirit. If you had a desire to come to these meetings and know more about God, you have not quenched the Holy Spirit. Don't let the devil take you for a ride in these things. But if you have sin, repent of those sins. I talked about this thing in Colorado Bible School some years ago. And someone put a question in the question box. How do you understand Hebrews 7.25? He is able to save unto the uttermost that which uh, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. The question was, after I had talked about this very thing I just talked to you about, he said, how do you understand that verse? It says that Jesus Christ is able to, that he is able to save unto the uttermost that come unto God by him, Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. The uttermost. That talks about the uttermost. I believe the key that unlocks this verse is the phrase, Them that come unto God by him. He is able to save unto the uttermost. Them that come unto God by Jesus Christ. A person that has passed into the death stage of sin can't come unto God by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is left and there's no more spirit to draw him unto God. Jesus said himself, no man cometh unto me except my father draw him. Now at the same time, the devil is shrewd enough. He's shrewd enough to know to stumble many into believing that they have passed into the death stage when they haven't. I cannot tell you how many people live in this fear. Constantly. And usually a few questions clears them up. And some of the questions I ask you, do you have a hunger after God? Do you glory over the conversion of sinners? Do you love to hear people's testimonies? How they came to Jesus? If you can say yes to these, there's only one reason that you can say that. And that is the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. Don't let the devil defeat you. Spiritually lost. Lost all interest. Dead while you live. This all takes place. This condition is reached by putting off and putting off. Saying no to the soft whisper of the Holy Spirit time and time again. Knowing that you should, but stiffening your neck. Making excuses until you believe your own lame excuses. Because they received not the love of the truth, God sent them strong delusions that they believe lies. What awaits such? Hebrews 10 verse 27. A certain fearful, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. One of the most serious mistakes that many make that are in hell tonight was the idea that they could repent when they wanted to sometime. Sometime. But God's time was not their time 
and they run out of time. Maybe you're sitting here tonight. I can't live the Christian life. I've tried it. I'll never make it. That's the voice of the devil. No one has called you to live the Christian life. No one sitting here can live the Christian life. It's not our responsibility to live the Christian life. Our responsibility is to reckon ourselves dead, crucified with Christ, resurrected in Christ, and Christ will live His life through us. <clears throat> His strength is made perfect in weakness. Tonight we're going to turn our hymnals to 924. I'm going to give you an invitation tonight. Maybe you want to make it evident that you want to do business with God. And you're just going to come up here and kneel down. And you're just going to seek God. You can come up here. You can pray. You can seek God. Ask Him for forgiveness if God spoke to you tonight. You can seek God on a personal level here and find peace. If you want counsel, you can find someone here tonight that is willing to sit down with you and counsel you and help you to get through. Maybe you have something in your heart and you want to just just raise your hand just to let those around you know I have an issue, I'm going to settle. Maybe you want to go home tonight and settle with your parents. I don't know. I just want to give you opportunity. I don't want to preach a message like I did tonight. And have you go home and never give you an opportunity to really face the issue. So you, you make the choice what you want to do. The more sincere, the more evident you are with it, the more you will experience deliverance. Don't hide from guilt. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. To forgive, us from our, from, to forgive us for our sins. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not just that specific sin that he may have put your fing his finger on tonight. He'll forgive that sin if you confess it. But he'll also cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want to share something with you tonight. On a scale 1 to 10, how righteous is God? 10. On a scale 1 to 10, how righteous are His children? 10. How do I know? He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. We are made as righteous as God is righteous. God says so. We are made His image, in His likeness, in His righteousness. But we need to confess and forsake our sins. Do we have a book here? <clears throat> Thank you, sister. <clears throat> I'm going to sing this, uh, we're going to sing this song, one or two verses here. If God laid something on your heart, do business with God tonight. Don't go home feeling, feeling guilty. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. 
You have an invitation, we are on this side of eternity. And you have an invitation to just simply make things right. <clears throat> just as I am without one plea. That you don't have to go home and clean up your life first. Just as I am. God wants me where I'm at. Just where I'm at. You know, we usually accept one another if we... We usually accept a certain person once he cleans up his life. God accepts us where we're at if we're just repentant and mean business with Him. We're not going to tarry long. Let's sing the next verse. And then we're going to close. If God put his finger on you, don't go home without meeting him and talking to him. Just as I am, man waiting meeting. Turn the time over to the moderator.